Well, good morning, Kettlebrook Jackson family. I think this is the first time, Mike, that you and I have been down here together, which is kind of fun. So Ryan's up in West Bend. We've swapped uh, out. I'm the West Bend site pastor, and, and it's great to be down here in Jackson with you. We are in the middle of a series called Saturate. We've been kicking this uh, year off with this series called Saturate based on the book by Jeff Vanderselton's in the back. If you want to grab a copy on the way out, Jim, his, it, thank you, Jim. It's right there. Yeah. So, uh, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to learn what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. Now, the idea of Saturate actually comes from uh, the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 2 talks about how the, the, he prophesies that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the water covers the sea. And when I think about what does it look like to saturate, well, as the waters covers the sea, it's like you can't get wetter and more water than that. Now, I brought a little bit of a, a prop because that's just what I do. Uh, but anyway, so I have a sponge here for you. I want you to think about saturate in terms of a sponge because a sponge is made to absorb water, right? And if I were to set it in this bowl of water pretty quickly, it will absorb water and I actually have to to saturate it I actually have to squeeze it to get the air out and then once I do that it should be saturated with water now I want us to think about us in terms of kind of like being like a sponge and that we were made we were created to be saturated by God okay when God originally made us he made us in his image so that we would bear and reflect his image all to the world wherever we go now, when, when you have something that's saturated, if you press it, if you press it just a little bit, what will come out of it is what it's saturated with, right? And so the idea, again, is that we are to be saturated by Jesus as his disciples, so much so that in our lives, that any time that we're pressed or any time that we're squeezed or any time that we move to some extent, we're going to reveal what comes out of us, which would be Jesus himself. And that's what we want to do. Now my hand's all wet. Did, you, did that help you? Because my hands are wet now. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, this is kind of what, we, what we're headed. Now the last two weeks we kind of set the stage for this and we opened up with the idea of God's glory. Obviously God's glory coming to the earth and that we are to be a part of seeing His glory known throughout the earth. And then last week we talked about how those who place their faith in Jesus Christ can be used in spite of the fact that we, we can't really reflect God in, in sin. We're sinners and so we can't reflect God as the way we were meant to be. But because in Jesus we have been saved... We are being saved, and we will be saved. We talked about that last week as well. This week, what we're going to do is, for the next three weeks, is we're going to finish this series up by talking about three different terms in a triangle. And I think we have it on the next slide here. That we want to talk about the terms family, servant, and missionary. And if we put that in a sentence, it was, it's that we want to be a family of servant missionaries. Family because we are loved by the Father. And therefore, we are his children. We're part of God's family. Servants, because we have been served by his son. And missionaries, because we have been sent by his spirit. So that's where we're headed. And today, we're going to look at the the topic of servant. Okay? Now, it should not surprise you at all if I were to say to you, you know what? Followers of Jesus are supposed to be servants. Does that surprise you? Hopefully, that doesn't like you. Oh, that's crazy. I never thought about that. So, but what might surprise you I'm going to press this a little bit. What might surprise you is that I think a lot of times when we think we're serving, we're actually not. Is it possible that we're not actually being servants very often because of the motivations of our heart? Let me give you a story. Last winter, 
who were really proud of our kids. We have twins, they're eight, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And, and it was a winter day and it was snowing and all four of them got their little tiny shovels. You know what I'm talking about, the red or the green ones that are like this big. Um, and they, they, they all got them and they went outside and they shoveled our driveway without even prompting from Stephanie and I. It was just great. They just went out like an army, like think Kansas combines, just like brr, brr. they were making it happen, all four of them. And then when they were done with our sidewalk and driveway, they went to the neighbors in our north, to our north, and they went and did their driveway and their sidewalk. And they went to the neighbors in our south and did their driveway and their sidewalk. And they went across the street. And we're just like, this is awesome. You know, as a parent, there's so many times where you're just like, this, I am screwing this up so bad. But then there's moments like this where we're like, God, maybe we got something right. Until we had our neighbors over a few days later. And they were telling us, hey, it was fun and funny when your kids came over the other day. We're like, what do you mean they came over? Well, you know, they, they did the driveway and stuff. Did you know that they like knocked on the door afterwards and were like, how much do you want to pay us? So, so they get an A for assertiveness. They get an A for entrepreneurship. They get an F for serving, right? Because they're not serving. They're just like doing it so they get paid. And so sometimes I think you know, children have a way of revealing what we as adults have over years socially conditioned ourselves to hide. Like, because they just say things that you shouldn't say and they do things that you shouldn't do. But this is what we do as adults. I think sometimes we have to look at our true motivations for serving. And so I want to wrestle through this with you together today. What we're going to do, we're going to take a look at a text that you're probably familiar with, at least the narrative. And then we're going to draw out two motivations that I think are pure and true motivations that we should use to serve. Like, like why we serve. We're going to look at four motivations that are false motivations, and then we're going to end up with uh, concluding by how we should serve, some things we can glean from this text. So, so grab a Bible, and there's a story of God Bibles under your chairs. We're going to be in John chapter 13, which is on page 748. Really strongly encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along uh, with me as we read this together. We're going to read um, the first, I think, 17 verses of this chapter. And again, it's a, it's a story that you're somewhat familiar with. But um, John is one of the disciples of Jesus, one of his closest disciples. He writes this account of the life of Jesus. And what we're about to read comes kind of right before uh, Jesus' week of the Passion Week, if you would, where he is uh, betrayed, turned over, and crucified on the cross. So I'm going to read through the whole story first. I'm going to make a few comments as we go, and then we'll break it down a little bit. So here we go. You know what? Before we, we read this, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come together as a family today and wrestle through this narrative. We pray that you would help us to see uh, what our true motivations are, that you would infuse those uh, and get rid of those, if you would, but bring your true motivations into our hearts so that we can truly be servants. We ask that you would show us this, Lord, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Chapter 13, verse 1, begins like this. John's setting up some context. He's got some, some commentary throughout. He goes like this. It was just before the Passover feast, period. So here's some context and the timing. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Then he gives us some more context. Verse 2, he says, The evening meal was being served. And then there's some dynamics going on here. It says, And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And now verse 3, he he says, here's some more things I want you to know that Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. And so He, Jesus, got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing and wrapped a towel around His waist. And after that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet. 
drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And this would have been something that would have been the most menial task reserved for the the least, if you would, of servants. He came, verse 6, to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter responds. He says, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, my hands and my head too. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. And then John has some more context here. He says, for Jesus knew, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is God's word. So, again, even if you haven't maybe read this text, you're probably familiar with this scene the scene of this where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, where Jesus doesn't really seemingly take, take a, even a second to think twice about taking on this menial task and washing his disciples' feet. They would have been reclining around a table, um, probably like this, away from the table, um, and then he would have won around and, and done this. And so as he, he does this, he has this, this he goes around, he has, a ba- he has a basin, obviously, and he gets to Peter. And if you know Peter, you know Peter's got a comment for everything, right? And so Peter's not having this. And, and, and you know that as Jesus comes with his basin to Peter, that Peter's probably thinking, what, 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 why do I always got to be the guy that says something? Does, does nobody else see a problem with this? Why, do I, why, why don't you guys say something? Why do I always got to be the guy to say, hey, this is not how it's supposed to, to play out, Jesus. Like, you can't wash my feet. So he asked Jesus, like, Jesus, what are you doing? And then Jesus responds kind of in the same way that I respond to my kids when they ask me where babies come from. He's like, well, you don't know right now, but uh, you'll understand, okay? That's kind of how he responds. He's like, but you need to do this, okay? And, and, and Peter's probably like, you know what, Jesus, I, uh, I don't really know if I need to wait a long time to figure out what you're doing. This isn't that complicated. You're trying to wash my feet. Like, I don't have to try to decipher what this is. You're not doing this. Jesus says, if you, if you don't let me do this, you can't have any part with me and then so peter gives a peter-like response okay then he swings the pendulum from one side all the way this is okay well if that's how we roll then i'm all in like head hands you name it and then jesus goes okay pendulum back here how about this like no no you're fine we just got to wash your feet that's what we're going to do and i really appreciate peter because peter states the obvious there's this just just giant elephant in the room that again everyone else knows but no one says anything and it's that jesus shouldn't be washing their feet but he does. Why? Well, Jesus washes their feet because he's trying to show them a glimpse of the kingdom. The kingdom of God. Where, where it's a kingdom where there's a God who reigns and rules, who doesn't just talk about loving but loves. Who doesn't just talk about serving but serves. Where, where there's a kingdom where there is humility. Where humility is actually exalted. And the first is the last and the last is first. 
That's why he's like, Peter, if you don't let me serve you in this way, you can't be part of me because this is what the kingdom is like. And so, family, as, as when we think about what it looks like to be a servant, one of the first critical steps that we have to take is we actually have to let Jesus serve us. Like, if we're going to really be servants, we actually have to first let Jesus serve us. Now, I, I know I'm from Wisconsin, and many of you are, and so I know how Wisconsin people think about serving. And that is, we don't like people to serve us, do we? We really don't. And there's a bunch of reasons. One of the reasons why is because we, we got this. We got it. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I can lift this couch all by myself. It's fine. You know, we do that because we're, we're, it's kind of pride. We also do it because we don't want anyone to owe, like we don't want to owe anybody. We don't want to be beholden to anybody. And so we're like, no, no, we got it. We totally can do this thing all by ourselves. Or, or maybe we've been wounded in the past by others' motivations. And so we're like, we don't, want, we don't know if there's maybe an underlying way, reason that they would serve us. So we don't want them to serve us. But, but we have to understand first what jesus has done we have to let jesus serve us the, re, the just we have to understand the, the depths to which he has gone to take on flesh and serve us so i want you to imagine that jesus comes in here today now i want you to imagine like jesus walks in here and he he's he says i'm going to start to wash your feet and you're like why in the world would you do that do you understand like we don't even wear sandals no it's hey universal fit, foot smell okay folks washing feet is gross can anyone like agree with that amen like foot washing is nasty Okay, but I just want you to imagine that Jesus himself walks in here. No, no, Mike, that's okay. You can leave your shoes on. But Jesus walks in. He says, all right, Lauren, I'm going to take your, you take your boots off, your shoes off. And he, he takes on the, the, the posture of a servant. And he gets down and he washes your feet, all of, all of us. I want you to imagine Jesus does that. And then I want you to imagine that he then puts his, his shirt back on, basically, and puts the bowl down he's done. And he sits down, and then he asks you a question. He says, do you understand? Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I have done for you? How would you respond? Would you understand? We, we have to understand what Jesus has done for us before we can truly understand what it looks like to be true servants ourselves. We have to let Jesus serve us. And so I want to start with those motivations. Here are two pure motivations. It should be in your bulletin insert. The two pure motivations for, how, for, for why we serve. The first one is this. We serve because Jesus first served us. That's why we serve. We serve because Jesus has first served us. That motivation. And motivations are huge. In our home, um, every meal we eat together in the evening, we always ask our kids some questions. And every time we ask questions, what we do is reveal the things that are dear to us. We are things that we reveal, the things that we value. I'll give you an example. So if we were to ask our kids when they get home from school every day, we say, hey, did you have fun at school today? What we'd be subtly doing is telling them that having fun is pretty important to what we desire for them to happen at, at school. If we ask them every day, hey, did you learn something at school today? Or what did you learn at school today? We'd be revealing that learning is really important at school. Now, if you do that, that's great. I think having fun and joy is actually part of the kingdom. That's okay. I think that learning is good. That's kind of part of what school is for. That's not the question. We don't ask those questions of our kids. We're actually going to assume they have fun and they're going to learn something. The questions that we ask our children, this is really the same question as we ask them every day. Did you have an opportunity to love and serve someone in Jesus' name today? 
did you have an opportunity to love and serve someone in Jesus' name today? And for a four-year-old, when he goes to 4K, he's like, ah, uh, I don't think so. And that's okay, but they're still working through it. And so we, we process that together. And then, and then when we hear those things, we always ask them another question. Why is it that we serve? And they say, because you tell us to? No, 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 they don't say that. They say, because Jesus first served us. And I'm, I'm telling you, that sounds like brainwashing. And I'm like, it is. It's totally brainwashing on kids. Because like, I want them to have that answer on the top of their head. The reason that they serve is because Jesus first served them. I want them to say that every time. That's their first motivation. So our first motivation is that we serve because we have been served by Jesus. But there's another motivation as well. Um, the second motivation that we have to serve is that we can truly know who we are in Christ. Verse 3 says that Jesus knew the Father had given all things into His hands and He had come from God and He was returning to God. So I want you to think about that. Jesus knew God had given all things into His hand. He knew the Father had given Him cosmic authority and cosmic power, sovereignty, all these things. He knew also that His time was coming to an end. He knew one of His disciples was going to betray Him. Now I want you to ask you a question. If you had... All power and authority in the world and the universe given to you, and also the knowledge that someone was going to betray you, don't you think you might want to leverage those two things to make some things happen? Because when we have knowledge and, and, and power, we use them for our own advantage, don't we, usually? I'll give you a story. Just uh, last Friday, we go down twice a year to Wauwatosa for this dental factory thing that's part of our insurance. We get the t- kids' teeth cleaned, our, our teeth cleaned. And so all six of us go down at one time. And as we went in, it, it happens they give you these iPads to check in on. Okay, you got to check all these, check your get everyone in. So Stephanie had to go to the bathroom because she didn't get a chance to brush her teeth that morning yet, and she was going to the dentist. She's like, I got to brush my teeth before I go to the dentist. And Mike's like, he's like, well, you could just like, you're, that's what you're there for. So just go in there with dirty teeth. Anyway, so that's a different story. Um, so, um, so I get the iPad, Troy Lather, and it asks you a few questions that they haven't asked you the last time you were there or whatever. And so I do, 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 okay, go. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just fill out Stephanie's because she's not here yet. And so I'm going through, just do, 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 no, this hasn't happened, blah, blah, blah. And then one of the questions is, it's a new question, I saw it on mine too, it says, do you have a fear of dentists? And I was like, yes. Yes, I am deathly afraid of dentists. I just want to see how this is going to play out, right? Like, she doesn't know, I'm going to check, I'm afraid of dentists. So anyway, I do that, get all the kids. I go back to my hygienist. I'm sitting there getting my teeth cleaned by the hygienist. He's, he's awesome. We're having a great time talking. And I find out she's going to sit in the same chair right after me. And so I'm like, all right, you've got to help me out with this. Here's what happened, okay? Like, I checked. She's afraid of dentists. So here's what's going to happen. When she comes back, you've got to help me. I want you to straight face this thing. I want you to stone face the whole thing. I want you to make a huge deal about how she's afraid of dentists, okay? He's like, okay. He's, and I'm like, well, what are we going to do? He's like, I can tell her we got Valium. I'm like, yeah, tell her you got Valium. I'm like, but tell her you got like counselors too. Tell her you got counselors that she can talk to about this. And if, if you're here and afraid of dentists, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make fun of you, but I just know my wife isn't. So this is funny. So anyway, um, so he, so I leave and then he, he just executes perfectly, right? Like I hear this later from my wife because she sits down in the chair and, um, and, and he goes, so I understand that you have a fear of dentists. And the first thing that Stephanie says is, did my husband put you up to this? That's the first thing she says. And he lies. He's like, no, he's straight face. He's like, no, ma'am. It says right here on the thing that you checked in that, that you says you, are, you have a fear of dentists. And he goes, I'd like to let you know we do have Valium. We also have counselors set aside for this. And she's just like, he checked me in. 
And, and it wasn't until a few minutes later that he actually kind of like blew his cover and said, hey, we were in on this. And, and I'm telling you, folks, I smiled the whole way home. I'm just driving like... <laughs> now, that, I tell you that story because... Okay, I tell you this story because... Um, <laughs> Because when we have information and power, we use them to our advantage. And that's a funny story. But, but in all seriousness, like when we have information and we have power, we use them and leverage them for our own advantage, don't we? And, and not always in fun ways and, and sometimes in very not fun ways, not good ways. But, but Jesus here, he knows his death is coming. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows the exact guy who's going to betray him. On the other hand, he's got all power and authority been given to him. And so you would think he would take and open a can of divine you-know-what on Judas. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He could have. Instead, what he does is he takes the attitude, the posture, the wardrobe, and the task of an absolute menial servant. And he washes the feet of his disciples, including the one who is betraying him. Why? Because of verse 3. When Jesus takes on the role of a servant, folks, let's make sure it's clear. He's not taking on the role of a servant because he's a doormat or because he's got low self-esteem. He's taking on the role of a servant because he couldn't possibly know better who he is and whose he is and what authority and power he has. And so we who are in Christ can know our identity. We can know who we are in Christ and therefore we can serve anybody at any time no matter what the task is because we can know who we are. We don't have to be insecure. We can be so secure in Christ. And that's our two motivations. It's that we serve because Jesus first served us and we serve because we know who we are in Christ. And there's nothing below us. There's no one that we can't feel like we can serve, even those who would betray us or are betraying us. Now I want to take a minute just because I want to address something pretty practical here um, that I see sometimes. I, sometimes I hear and interacting with people and part of it's maybe a way you grew up, but that sometimes this idea of religious rituals come up or rites or cleansings that kind of like if you had special water and you didn't walk under a ladder and you said certain things that you kind of turn into spiritual Harry Potter and you're like, expecto patronum. And you're just like, I can figure out, like I'm good with God because of this rite or ritual. I just want to use this specific washing and cleansing to show that that's not the case. There's, there's a couple reasons why we can say it's not the case. First of all, Jesus is like, okay, this, the, Peter, this isn't really about foot washing. There's something else going on. You're going to understand a little bit later because this is really a picture of him in the ultimate service position where he's going to give his life. This isn't necessarily about it. But secondly, the reason that we know this, that ritual washings, cleansings, and religious rites are not that the way that we're right with God is because, here's the deal, if Jesus said, he goes, not all are clean. And who does he mean when not all are clean? Judas, right, is not clean. If Judas is not clean after Jesus himself cleans him, there is no ritual that will cleanse you. If Jesus himself can't clean someone in that way. That's why we don't, we don't rely on those things. Jesus is like, this isn't about a foot washing that now all of a sudden the church has to always start washing feet and being like, ooh, a special water wash feet. I, I, we just have to be honest and say that's not what's going on here. Jesus is like, what I'm doing is I'm setting an example and I'm pointing to something else that I'm doing. So we serve because we've been served. Right? That's our motivation. We serve because we can know who we are in Christ. Now, we don't always do that. Sometimes we serve out of false motivations. I want to give you four that I come across regularly that I want to make sure we raise awareness so we don't use them. The first motivation that people say is, well, I ask, well, hey, you're doing this. Why are you doing this? 
People will say, well, because it's the right thing to do. Okay, this is one of the, the first one I hear is, it's the right thing to do. Now, I don't want to rip on this. Um, what I want to do is say it's difficult. And here's why it's difficult. Because how do we know what the right thing to do is all the time? Sometimes it's really hard. If we walked out of here in the community center and there was someone outside begging for money, what's the right thing to do? Is it to give them money? Some of you are like, yes. Some of you are like, no. Is it to go take them to lunch? Some would say yes. Some would say no. Is it to bring them into your house? Is it, is it to not give them money because we don't want to enable them? Is it to call the cops? What do we do? So the point I'm trying to make is that when we base why we serve off of what's the right thing to do, sometimes it's very subjective. Now, I'm not saying that if you follow Jesus, all of a sudden those questions don't come up. What I'm saying is that when you follow Jesus, our motivation is not because it's the right thing to do, and so therefore we have a little bit more freedom in the ways that we serve because our heart is really to serve because Jesus served us, not because we're trying to do the right thing. Okay? So that's a first, first false motive that comes up quite a bit. A second false motive that comes up is acceptance. Sometimes people serve to be accepted. And, and, and the, the easiest example is maybe a silly one, but it's the idea of gang initiation. Okay? People are, they go into gangs and they do these things that they have to do, which is really serving the family of the gang. And the reason to do it is so they could be accepted into the family. Uh, Dave Sizdek, you folks might know Dave. He's our youth pa- or part-time youth pastor. And Dave just took a job as a, a full-time job as a firefighter down in, in uh, Crystal Lake, something in Illinois. And, and so he um, is the young guy in the totem pole, and he's got to take everyone's dishes. He's basically like their slave. Okay? And I'm not saying Dave doesn't have a heart to serve because I know he does, but like he legitimately kind of serves as part of the, the protocol to be accepted. When Jesus serves here and he washes his disciples' feet, let's, let's just make sure you, we understand, he's not serving so that his disciples or so that his father will accept him. He's serving because he already knows he couldn't be more accepted than he already is. Okay? So that's false motivation to say, I want to serve to be accepted. Okay? A third false motivation is, is one that's a little bit deeper. And I hear people say this is they serve because it makes them feel good. Okay? You've heard this, right? Like you've heard people say, oh, it makes me feel good. Now, is it wrong to feel good when you serve? No, it's not. But this is a motivation that you kind of have to draw out because people usually won't use it right away because they know it sounds selfish. Like you know when you say it out loud, well, I'm serving because it makes me feel good. You kind of know that sounds selfish. So you'll say, well, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. And then if you ask a few questions, you'll think, well, actually, it's because I feel good about it. When we serve so that we feel good, who are we really serving? just want to make sure this is really like something that you can boldly proclaim and understand. So like when we serve so that we feel good, who are we really serving? Ourselves. And so we're legitimately not actually serving others when we're serving so we can feel good. We're actually using others to serve ourselves. This is a false motivation. Fourth false motivation, and this one's even deeper. It's like another layer deeper yet. People won't bring this up. But it's, it's the motivation to serve so that there'll be a recognition or reciprocation. So you'd be recognized or be reciprocated. Have you, ever, have, you ever gotten, have you ever done something nice for somebody and they never said thank you and that bothered you? Because you're in area four here. If that's, that's, that's an indicator. It's a red flag that you're in area four. Uh, about a month ago, it was a Sunday, it was snowing, it was a beautiful day, it was snowing quite a bit, took, uh, took our kids and the neighbor kids actually down to uh, Ridge Run Park in West Bend. It's got this huge sledding hill, it's really fun. 
And so I take them over there, took them over there, ran them, ran them, ran them, ran them, because that's what I like to do. Yeah, you guys go up the hill again, up and down, okay? You get yourself tired. And so they did that for two hours. I was going back in the van, and it continued to snow while we were there. And there was someone who was trying to leave the parking lot. They had a, it was a Cadillac. They had rear-wheel drive. And they, they were not even able to make it out of kind of the, the parking lot. And so I see this happening. I put the kids in the van, and I go over, and I just start pushing on the guy's trunk. And he puts his window down. And he looked out because I didn't know if he thought I was attacking his car or what he was doing. He kind of had to figure out what I was doing. I was just trying to help him. I was just trying to push him. So I started pushing him, and we were making some progress. And then this other guy saw me do it, so he came and joined him. We pushed this guy over the crest of the hill, and he was good to go. And as he left with his window down, he didn't say anything. Never said anything. And I was walking back to the van. I was like, you're welcome. <laughs> Jerk. You know, why did I do that? Did I do that because Jesus has first served me and now I can go push his car? No, I didn't. I wanted him to say thank you. And I even went back into the van. The kids were like, Dad, what'd you do? Well, just serve that guy. That's a good illustration right there. So was I serving because Jesus served me? No. My, my response tells you the truth. So if you don't get a thank you from someone, it's an indicator this fourth motivation is in play. If you serve others, they don't return or reciprocate. This is the fourth motivation. And we actually take this and we apply it to God very often because what we do is we serve God so that God will serve us back. We serve so that he'll acknowledge us and appreciate us and recognize us. And I hear people talk about this because like, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. And what they're really just saying is that, hey, God kind of owes me because I've done this stuff. And he needs to recognize that. And if he didn't, I mean, I couldn't even imagine how he wouldn't recognize what I've done, okay? None of these motivations are what we're called to. We're called to the, the pure motivation, which is to serve because Jesus first served us and because we know who we are in Christ. And so now let's, let's go from those motivations, the, the false motivations, to some hows as we close here. First, if Jesus was willing to, to do the lowliest of jobs and serve, let me ask you this, is there anything that's beneath us when we serve? Sometimes what I hear people say is they'll say, eh, that's not really my thing, that thing. That's not my thing. I'm not passionate about that. I just don't really like doing that. I'm pretty sure that Jesus was a tad overqualified to wash feet. Like I'm pretty sure he could have been better leveraged in his gifting and skill set raising people from the dead. And yet he still washes feet. In processing uh, through this, my wife, Stephanie, she made a brilliant observation. And here's what she said. I'm going to say it twice because I think it's really good. She says, it's really easy for us to serve people we love in ways we enjoy. It's really easy for us to serve people that we love in ways that we enjoy. I was like, honey, that's brilliant. Like, that's, that's so true, isn't it? Like, we can serve and be like, oh, I love making meals for people. And I, look at this, these are our friends. They just had babies. Let's make meals for them. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that's easy. But what's harder and what we're called to is something far beyond serving those that we love in ways that we enjoy. We have to serve those who are betraying us at times in ways that we hate. So here's the question. Do we only serve people we love in the ways that we enjoy? I think it's convicting. Another thing we need to learn is that although Jesus was alone in taking up the towel in this scene, if you look at the rest of his ministry, it's very much characterized by serving together with his disciples. Because the kingdom is not an individual thing. It's a community thing. 
And so we have to see that God desires for us to serve together. There's something about it when people see not only, hey, there's a person who has a seemingly pure motivation, like they're serving because they've been served, but not only just that person, but there's a community of people who don't even look like they should probably be friends. And they have this unity of purpose, and they have this shared passion, this shared humility. That itself speaks huge volumes to those who don't yet know Christ and understand the kingdom. We have to serve together as a family. And Ryan's going to talk about family next week. And lastly, we have to serve in ways that don't discriminate between those who we deem as worthy to serve and those who we deem as not worthy to serve. Okay, remember that Jesus knew full well when he was washing both Peter's and Judas's feet what was going to play out. So I think sometimes what we can do is we can, we can get in this mindset where we say, well, I'm going to help this person because they may be, like they'll really receive it well and they'll listen because you know what? God helps people who, God helps those who helps themselves. That is not true. That is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is not that God helps those who help themselves. The gospel is God helps those who know and admit and, con- and confess that they could not possibly help themselves. That they are completely dependent upon Him. That they are lost without Him. That is what the gospel is about. And so I, I, I think we just have to keep that in mind. And I, I say this knowing that some of you are like, okay, does that just mean we always serve all the time? And, and Troy, I know some of you are working with some really hard people that you're trying to serve and love. So I get that. I, I, I do understand that. But we just have to remember that Jesus didn't discriminate who was worthy and who was unworthy to serve. And man, thank the Lord that he did not because if he, if he did, if he, if he said, let me serve those who are worthy, he wouldn't have served any of us because not one of us is worthy of what he did. Because what he did is that God the Father took on flesh and, he's, and he truly saturated his flesh, this flesh Jesus' flesh with Himself. God incarnate, saturated with God's love. God in flesh. And then He and then He poured Himself out, emptied Himself, so that we might not just be washed in the sense of a foot washing, but washed in the sense of sin in Christ. So that we then could be saturated with what He has poured out. And that once we become saturated, we too could pour ourselves out as servants and take up the towel in the same way that our servant king has taken up that towel. How are we doing? How are we doing, family? In serving, and are we serving with the right motivations? It's our desire that we would see God's glory known as, as we become more and more a family of servant missionaries. That would saturate this world with Jesus Christ. I want to close with some great words from a hymn written by Brian Wren. They go like this. I think they're on the slide um, at the end. <clears throat> great God in Christ, you call our name and then receive us as your own. Not through some merit, right, or claim, but by your gracious love alone. We strain to glimpse your mercy seat and find you kneeling at our feet. Then take the towel and break the bread and humble us and call us friends. Suffer and serve till all are fed and show how grandly love intends to work till all creation sings to fill all worlds, to crown all things, to saturate this world. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much. 
that you call us to be servants. We pray that you'd give us the right motivations in our heart to understand first and foremost that you have sent your son as a servant, as a servant king. May we know as a family that we have been served and that's why we would then serve. May we know who we are in Christ and therefore be able to serve anybody at any time in any way. And in so doing, may we do that together as a family so that you would be known, that your glory would go forth. Help us and empower us. Remove these false motivations from our heart by your spirit, Lord. And create in us pure hearts that can serve for your glory. May we saturate our worlds with it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.